Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Father God, we uh, look forward to that day with great joy and anticipation. But we thank you too, as we saw this morning, that we get to anticipate it uh, in some small way, right here, right now, among your people, on this beautiful sunny day, as your people have gathered together to be family. We get a foretaste of that light that one day will dawn, of that new humanity that rose again with Christ, uh, uh, experienced here. And we pray now that as we turn and consider what it is to live as your family, that you would help us and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please take a seat. Um, just a little explanation. Uh, in our seminar, the seminar that uh, I was part of, uh, I got people to uh, write down their memories from their time in uh, Christchurch Forward, uh, things that they'd enjoyed, uh, formative memories, the kind of things that you go when you go, um, oh, do you remember that time when? So we had a whole list of those. And uh, then we got to spread, they're all, anyway, basically, they're all over there on lots of big sheets of paper on the floor. So you might want to wander over and just read some of people's, some of the memories people had. And then we kind of grouped them together and just looked at some of the themes, some of the common lessons, things for the future. Uh, It does mean that I have um, some great illustrations for my talk, which I've stolen from... uh, from uh, that seminar, so uh, look out for that. Here's what I want to do in this session, a little bit different. Uh, The Jubilee Centre and the Relationships Foundation are two Christian think tanks. They're they're linked together, uh, based in Cambridge. And over the last 30 years, they've been exploring what makes for good relationships. How do relationships work best? How do organizations work best at a relational level? And over that time, they've identified five factors that predict or create what they call, fancy term, relational proximity. Basically, good, healthy relationships. Five factors that underlie good, healthy relationships. And those factors have been applied to businesses, prisons, schools, government institutions, all with measurable results. And uh, as I was reading through them, I thought, that's actually a great way of thinking about what it means to be a church family. These are five factors that uh, will be signs of a healthy church family and, and things that you can think about, things that you can do if you want to be a healthy church family. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go through one, two, three, four, five, and look at how we might apply them to the church family. They've come up with some fancy terms. I've, I've come up with some simpler terms. So here we go. The first one is what they call directness of communication, which I've just said is spend time with your church family. Basically, you've got to be with people. If you want good relationships to grow, you've got to be, you've got to be in the same place at the same time. 
That's not terribly complicated, is it? You might have predicted that yourself, never mind 30 years of think tank work. You might have been able to see that one coming. You can't build community with somebody if you're in two different places. The closer, the better, I suppose we might sum it up as. And so email and phone and text, they can all help organize community life, but they're not the real thing. If you want to live as a family, you've got to spend time together. One of the groups that we were this morning in the seminar just said, you've got to share life. You've got to share life. You've got to spend time with people. And as I say, in many ways, that's just a statement of the obvious. But here are some applications or a couple of challenges, I think, that flow from that first observation. First of all, commit to people, not to an institution. Very easy to think of church as a building or as an event or as an organization. And there's some truth in all of those things. Churches often have buildings. Churches do hold meetings and put on events. And they need some measure of organization. This day would have been, well, anyway, it's not even worth thinking about what would have happened if there'd been no organization. Wouldn't have happened at all, would it? They need organization. But first and foremost, churches are family. We'll be looking at the letter to Colossians tomorrow. It's addressed to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not addressed to God's holy building. Actually, that language is used in the New Testament, but always metaphorically of a group of people. Uh, It's not God's holy meeting. It's not God's holy organization, but God's holy people, brothers and sisters. And so commitment to your local church, to this church, means commitment to people, not to a building. You're not committed to a church if you feel some long-standing affinity or affection for the building. Not to a meeting. You're not committed to a church if you simply turn up each week. Not commitment to an organization. You're not committed to your church if you simply give regularly. Commitment to church means commitment to people. I think I mentioned this this morning, but I I often come across people who are attracted to the ideal of community. They, They love the idea of community. But commitment to church, commitment to community, actually means commitment to real people with all their quirks and habits and hobby horses. So, First of all, commit to people. Second, I think if you want to just work out what it is when I talk about spending time with your church family, I think secondly, be where you are. I was talking to the wife of a church leader recently. She was describing how many people within the church are trying to keep up with their old friends. And as a result, they're often away visiting people, particularly at weekends. And she was describing how she and her husband had made a very conscious decision that just or a recognition actually began with that God had placed them in this particular city, in this particular church, with this group of people, and they were going to commit to that particular group of people, that church family and the unbelievers in their neighborhood. 
And that meant, in a sense, they had consciously decided to neglect many of their past relationships. They wanted to live where they were, not where they used to live. Do you know what I mean? As a result, they have relationships that are deep and significant. The same is true, I think, of online relationships. Uh, question I'm often asked, did I, I might, I might, this might have said this one, did I say this one? No, anyway, I'm often asked, how, how come you write so many books? And I used to sort of, sort of rather sort of warm, fuzzy, gen, you know, I love writing, I, you know, whatever. But lately, I think, well, I think one reason is I don't waste my time on social media. If you want more time for relationships, I, anyway, and I, I've got to be careful not to do the grumpy old man routine here. <laughs> so let me just rein that in. If, but here, nevertheless, here goes. <laughs> just looking down the next page. If you want more time, for relationships in your church family, stop using social media. Stop playing computer games. Don't live somewhere else. Whether that's connecting with people online or actually living in some computer-generated fantasy world. No, I sort of, I, I hesitate to say, I don't hesitate too much because you know, I'm out of here in, in a, you know, at the end of the evening. Uh, because this is so countercultural. But that, that's what we're called to be, isn't it? To be, not to be conformed to this world, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And actually, it's a great opportunity. One of the appeals of social media is that it appears to, trans, to, to, to let us transcend or escape our bodies. It allows us to kind of be in many places at once. You know, while you're listening to me, you can be checking the football scores. Just looking around for any furtive. <laughs> it's too late now, isn't it? It's all done. Oh no, it's half past four. No. Okay, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, you can be checking the football scores, you can be liking a photo on Facebook. And actually the genius of Facebook is that it offers you a world where you're at the center, surrounded by friends that you've selected, while simultaneously offering them the experience of being at the center of a world where they're surrounded by friends that they've selected. Everyone's at the center of a world that they can control. But I don't know whether you've noticed or not, your mind is connected to this odd gangly thing that needs feeding and clothing, your body. God has made us with bodies. He made us with bodies and then declared his creation to be good. And then miracle of miracles, God himself took on a body, took on human flesh as Jesus became man. And it was the body of Jesus that was raised physically from the dead. It's, Jesus has a body now. 
And so the gospel encourages us to live embodied lives and embodied relationships, real physical relationships. Our bodies, one of the reasons for that, I think, is that our bodies remind us that this is not our world, that we're not the center. We literally bump into people. We collide. You can't look around a room like this and say, this is my world and I'm at the center. I mean, you have to have pretty big ego to pull that one off. Our bodies remind us that we live in a world created by the words of someone else, not by the words that we tap into our Facebook page. We live in a world created for someone else, for the glory of God. And so Paul says to the Christian community in Thessalonica, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you'd become so dear to us. Then a bit later on he says, but since we were torn away from you brothers for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Not just words, but a shared life. We shared our lives with you. Not just words, but face to face. Not an online presence, but an embodied presence. God has placed you in this congregation. You didn't choose them. Sorry, but you didn't, did you? God chose these people to be part of your life with all that diversity, all the diversity of personality, background, social class, ethnicity. God has placed you here using this community to make you grow in Christ and to display the unifying power of the cross. Online, you are God. You create your own kind of community of convenience that presents little challenge. In fact, Facebook, although it's this sort of public display in one sense, it's actually a kind of place to hide. Your idolatrous selfishness struggles can all be safely, you, you kind of get a sanitized version of yourself. But, but real embodied relationships don't work like that, is it? People see you much more as you are. Now, I'm not telling you to leave Facebook. I'm just simply asking you this. Does your use of Facebook facilitate real-world relationships, embodied relationships, or does it replace them? One of my little things. Through the Things in Common Facebook group, don't know what that is, but someone we didn't know lent us his wallpaper steamer. A formative memory. That's Facebook being used to facilitate real world relationship. That's great. So that's the first thing. I can't remember what it was now. Spend time with your church family. Secondly, the Relationship Foundation's name for this is what they call continuity of story. I've just called it stick with your church family. Spend time with your church family, stick with your church family. If the first one is just the sort of, is, is the kind of closer the better or the more time the better, then this one is about saying the more the better or the longer the better. 
And again, it's not terribly surprising, is it? Might have well have predicted it. The more time with, you spend with people, the closer you're going to be. The longer relationships last, the deeper they become. What, what you would do for a friend is different to what you would do for a stranger. Or think of it like this. Some brothers and sisters, mentioning no names, can be rather abrupt. They speak their mind. They don't sugar the pill. I can think of particular people that I have in mind in my congregation. I'm sure you can think of one or two. I don't take offense. And there are two reasons for that. The first is I've spent enough time with them to realize that they're not being unkind. It's just the way they are. And secondly, I've spent enough time with them to realize that actually they are deeply committed to me and they are willing to sacrificially love me because they've proved that many times. But that takes time to realize those things sometimes, doesn't it? Spending time with one another. Relationships take time. That's the point. And I think that's a combination of the amount of time you spend together and the kind of overall duration of the relationship. Again, could have predicted that, but let me give you a couple of challenges. First of all, stick in one location. In our culture, we're very mobile. We readily change jobs and move locations. In fact, it's kind of expected almost. And that, you know, there are many blessings to that, but it can make us very cavalier about relationships. I think many of us think job home, church, kind of in that order, particularly graduates. Kind of pick your job, wherever that may be, then you look for a home in the vicinity, and then maybe you start thinking about church. Rather than thinking, this is where I live, this is my community, this is my church family. What jobs can I find in that location? Now, I don't want to make this an absolute. I mean, that would be... um, pot kettle black and all of that because three years ago I moved from where I lived to a new location, moved to Boroughbridge to support a church plant there. But we really felt the cost of that. You know, when you're, when you're planting a church with people, you go through tough times. Pastorally, you go through tough times with people. And there were people in Sheffield who, because of all we'd experienced together, I'm confident would have kind of moved heaven and earth to help me if I was in need. So you feel the cost of that when you leave. But we left for the sake of the gospel. And there may be all sorts of good reasons why you should move. All I'm saying is, don't be cavalier about that. Don't make that your default. Recognize the value of long-term relationships. Again, be countercultural. And in the decision making process, include that as a factor. Include those, com- those relationships in that process of making the decision. Think through the impact on your church family. It's very, it's, it was, again, it was very striking in the seminar group. Actually, I thought, anyway, so many people here have been here decades, part of this church for decades. I don't know if that's just because when, when you get to forward, you've, you've, it's, there's nowhere better to go. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's it. Or whether you get, when you get to Christchurch, there's no better church. I don't know. 
But that's a precious thing. It's very precious. Don't treat it lightly. And then the other challenge, I think, is stick with relationships. Stick in one location. Stick with relationships through conflict. Conflict will arise in your church family. In fact, there are almost certainly conflicts going on with people in the room right now. In fact, I would say a church that never experiences conflict, this side of eternity, is probably unhealthy because people are too afraid to be honest or to give their opinion. Conflict is actually a normal part of normal church life. It's going to happen. The question is, the real thing that matters is, what happens next? Now, I don't, we don't have time to sort of think through a whole biblical approach to conflict. All I want to say is this, don't walk away. Don't, don't just switch to another church. Don't just sit on the other side of the building. If you walk away, you're not living the gospel because the gospel calls us to live in harmony and the gospel gives us the resources to resolve conflict. If you walk away, you'll miss the opportunity to grow. And there's every chance actually that the pattern will repeat itself. You may leave the conflict behind, but you take your frustration with you. But if you commit to people, if you work at reconciliation, you will find, again and again, you will find that those become the relationships that have real depth in your life. Stick with relationships through conflict. So what was that? Uh, Completely, what was the first one? Spend Spend time with the church family, stick with the third church family, and then... Thirdly, serve with the church family. The uh, Relationship Foundation's fancy name is Commonality of Purpose. But let's just call it serving together. Here's the observation. Relationships become strong when there's a common project. I suspect you know that from your experience in the wider world. You grow close to people when you're launching a new product or playing on the same team or campaigning to save trees together. In the church family, we have a powerful common purpose, the glory of Christ. That cause unites us, and it gives us a reason to work together. But again, let me give you a couple of more specific applications or challenges. First of all, own the course. If you view the church as a meeting you attend or an organization that kind of provides a product for you, then you'll never experience deep family relationships. You've got to stop thinking church is this body, this thing, this entity that does things for me or for other people that I kind of support with my time and money. You've got to think church is us. Church is me. We come together, we come together, I come with, together with other people, we come together to make Christ known. So here's the test. 
When you think about the church, when you talk about the church, do you use they language or we language? Do you sort of, you know, they ought to, no, they, do, they, they do youth work really well, but they could do that better. Or do you say we? We do youth work really well, but we could do this, this or that better. Not, not this thing over here, but me, us. A family identity means taking responsibility for one another and for the life of the community. Taking the initiative to contribute to prayer times, to wash up, to welcome visitors, to drop in on people, to resolve conflict, to care for needs. Not just doing those things, you know, when somebody asks you to, but taking the initiative. If, if, you, if, if, people, if, you, if you wish that people in your home, if, if only people in my home group say, we just kind of drop in on one another. Don't, don't complain about that. Be the person that drops in. Be the solution. If you wish that people kind of more spontaneously would pray for one another's needs, don't complain about that. Be the person that initiates that prayer. Be the solution. Here's another way in which I think this, this uh, commitment to serving together might work. Work together on specific projects. Okay, so that big purpose of making Christ known, of bringing glory to Christ, that breaks down into a hundred moments, meals, projects, events, adventures. And I think what you will find again and again is that you grow close to people when you lead a Christianity Explored discussion group. When you take... Young, when you uh, take a young people's group on a trip together, when you cook a meal together, when you fix the garden of an elderly neighbour, and so on and so on. Here are some of the, uh, th- I mean, it's just, just such a big theme going on over there. Here are the for- some formative memories. Group decorating the church building for Christmas. Washing up at Friday Club Christmas dinner. The wheel falling off the minibus full of kids. Do you know, I said, I said, I said, any of these memories, there can be things going wrong. I don't know, like a wheel falling off a minibus. And, and apparently that has literally happened, so who knew? Oh, well, the carols by candlelight service. Not enough room, church members giving up their seats for visitors. These are formative memories formed by people doing projects together, serving together. We've got a woman in our church who has multiple cirrhosis. And during one particularly bad patch, uh, the church asked her what did she want to do for her birthday. And uh, the answer is she wanted to see the sea. Her birthday, by the way, is in December. But they decided to take her to Whitby. And and they lifted her in her wheelchair up all 199 steps to the top. Top of the cliff. And so now every December... (laughs) We go to Whitby after... After the Sunday morning service, on one Sunday in November, we all head off and have fish and chips on the beach. It's freezing cold. (laughs) Those are the kinds of things that create family. 
And again, here's the key point. If you, if you seek community, if you want to kind of do family, I think you'll often find that it's kind of elusive. If you, if you just have this moment where, let's come and have a sort of family night, you know, and it'll just feel stilted and awkward. But if you serve together or evangelize together or care for one another together, that's when deep relationships will form. That's when you'll experience real family. So serve with your church family. Then fourthly, what I've called for reasons that will become clear, eat with your church family, but the relationships foundations is multiplexity of information. Think of it like that. When I first started working in an office, somebody said to me, I remember somebody saying to me, the relationships that last your working relationships that last, will be the ones that exist outside the office. And I, I just sort of logged it in my mind. It struck me. But it proved true. I spent seven years working for that organization. We had some pretty intense times together. Highs and lows. I formed some strong relationships. But the only ones that lasted were, were the ones where I had also been in people's homes. And the relationships where I'd been in people's homes all lasted. Does that make sense? If you only engage with people over one topic, or you only see people in one context, I think those relationships will be weak. Relationships that only exist on church property after the service or at a midweek event will not be significant, deep, or lasting relationships. And so that means good church family relationships will be ones that involve hospitality, outings, days like this. I did the exercise that we did over there. I did that with my church family. I just wanted to work out whether it would actually work for one thing. And one of the striking things was how few of the memories were about things that took place on a Sunday morning. A bit depressing for a church pastor. <laughs> Apparently all that stuff just makes no difference at all. I don't think that's quite true, actually. I think, I think that's where the foundation is laid. At least that's what I like to tell myself. You know, all the, all the gospel truth is sort of laid there and then becomes a springboard. But it, but it has to kind of spill out of Sunday into all of life if you want to really experience deep relationships. Going for walks, having outings, working together with someone in need, serving and caring for one another. Cake arriving on a doorstep when I was low and wondering, where is God? Being invited to lunch with a, church, with a family when I was a student. Sorry, being invited to lunch with a family when I was a student. Chips in Encliffe Park with the children's group one Friday. If you want to boil it all down, it is, it is about meals. That's why I've, my heading was eating with one another. The family that eats together stays together. The same is true of the church family. And I don't mean, I mean, I hope we have a great hog roast. But church lunches, uh, anyway, you know, us introverts have very mixed feelings about such things. I mean meals in your home. Inviting people for a meal or a cup of tea. Or out for a drink. Just think with me, 
That is how Jesus did community. Just run your mind through the Gospels. And again and again you will find Jesus eating with people. And it's so simple. In fact, you're doing it 21 times a week already. But I think nothing would, could have, would have a bigger impact on the church life of the church family. Number five, identify with your church family. I couldn't quite come up with a good version of this. Their thing is parity of power, the relationships foundations, parity of power. What, what the point they want to make there is that relationships are best, form best, form strongest when there's some measure of equality. You don't tend to be good mates with your boss. In fact, when people are promoted, they often bemoan the fact that they no longer relate to their old colleagues in the same way. I don't know if you've had that experience. Now, in church, we have a great advantage. We have leaders, and leaders are important, but there's actually a bigger, more foundational reality, which is that we are all sinners saved by grace. In the church family, we're all children apart from our Father in heaven. Or in the flock that is overseen by the shepherds, even the shepherds actually are sheep first of all. First and foremost, they're sheep. So we have that equality kind of built into our identity. But again, I think we can put this observation to good use. So here's my advice. Look for opportunities to be incompetent. Here's what I mean. Suppose you've been reading your Bible for decades. So you know your Bible really well. I hope that when you come to your small group, you come with an intent to love and serve the group. In other words, you don't come to just kind of show off the fact that you know all the answers. Or um, or ride your hobby horse. I'm assuming this is true of you. Uh, Instead, you come with an intent to help people see the truth for themselves. But still, the reality is you know more than other people, and people often look to you for answers. That's great. Use your knowledge to serve the group in love. But can I also encourage you to, to sort of look for topics where other people know more than you? Ask them questions. Ask them for advice. Don't hide your ignorance. Don't kind of move the subject on or or just sort of bluff it out or pretend you know what you're talking about. Use that to connect with people. Make sure your relationships are two-way with give and take. It's, It's interesting how often Jesus asks people for help. Ask a Samaritan woman for water, for example. All of that is reinforcing this parity of relationships, the fact that you're together, you you identify with one another. You're not Mr. High and Mighty above other people. We had one of my hats is that I uh, work with Crosslands, training people. We had a Crosslands student a few years ago. He was a concert pianist. 
He had a master's from Cambridge in Renaissance literature. He, he, he would play blind chess games. So they would, they would go to the pub and uh, he would play someone at chess and he would not look at the board throughout the entire game. So the other person was looking at the board and then he would, they would say what move they'd make and then he would tell him what move he was wanted to make. But the whole thing was going on. You understand what I'm saying? He was a clever guy, that's basically what I'm saying. <laughs> but it was lovely because he used all that knowledge graciously to serve the other students. It kind of was like having an extra tutor in the room. He was also rubbish at football. Yet every evening, he joined with those students who were playing football. And he kind of flayed about on the pitch, making up for enthusiasm what he lacked in skill. He could so easily have done something else, something, you know, gone off, you know, this is in the spare time, he could have easily just not got involved. Not everyone was playing football, you know, he could have joined one of the board games. He could have done something where he was super competent. He could have been just sort of this amazing guy all through the week. But no, he played football badly. And the other students loved him. Here's one of the things, church pantos. Now, I don't know what goes on in your church pantos, but let's imagine for a moment that some of these esteemed, godly leaders who are erudite and so on suddenly become widow twanky and play the fool. That's what we're talking about. Parity of power, identifying with one another. As we finish, let me, uh, I want to do a couple of things as we finish. First of all, I want to do a little exercise with you just to help you realize all the opportunities that you have to be doing community together. Here's what I want you to do. In your head, this is. Although, you might want to go home and do this on a piece of paper and kind of work it out, just figure this out, to see whether there are some things you want to do as a result. But let's just do it as a kind of uh, thought experiment for now. I want you to think of all the things you do every day. All the things that make up your daily routine. Traveling to work, eating meals, chores, walking the dog, playing with children, whatever. Okay? You doing that in your head, running through list of things? Half a dozen different things going on? And then think about all the things you do every week. The weekly routine. That'll be things like going to Tesco's, watching your favorite TV program, going to the gym, whatever it might be. Things you do every week. Got another list, half a dozen more things, yeah? Then thirdly, all the things you do every month. Doing the garden, getting a haircut, going to the cinema, that kind of thing. Now, I hope you know, you've got a list of activities. Now, I just want you to think about what, which of those things could you do with another member of the church family? Oh, here we go. Come in. We're nearly done. Just wrapping up. And, by the way, think of all the ways you could do some of those things with an unbeliever. And then think about what opportunities that might create to disciple others and to share the gospel with others. Now, clearly not everything can be done with someone else. 
not suggesting that you shower with other people. (laughs) But I hope you can begin to see just how many opportunities you have to, to share life with people, to do community with people. You might knock on a friend's door as you walk the dock. You might offer an elderly neighbor a, a lift to the supermarket. You might meet up with a member of the, of the church for breakfast once a week or, or agree to ride the same bus into work. None of it adding any time to your schedule. You might decide that you're going to, you know, there are some TV programs, Strictly, Bake Off, They're just a whole lot more fun, actually, when you watch them with other people. You start chatting away, having your favorites. For years, my my wife has had a kind of weekly bake-off where all the friends come, and then they they do baking that's linked with the theme of the week, that kind of thing. And All these opportunities to do community together. Again, as I say, you might want to go home and just actually do the, just list it out on a piece of paper and think, which of those could I actually now begin to do with other members of the church family. Families eat together, play together, laugh together, laugh at one another. Families care for one another, comfort one another, provide for one another. They share the task of bringing up children. They look after older members. Families argue and fight, but they don't stop being family as a result. They find ways of working it out. You can't switch family. You can't say, well, that family looks cool. I think I'll leave my family and join that one instead. (laughs) Though you might be tempted. You can be yourself with your family. Families provide identity and a place of belonging. When you're with your family, you can take off your shoes and slump on the sofa. They define really for us what it is to be at home. Now just think again, what that, just think about that paragraph, what I've just written there, what I've just said, but replace the word church with the word family. Because the church is a family. Churches eat together, play together, laugh together, laugh at one another. Churches care for one another, comfort one another, provide for one another. They share something of the task of bringing up children. They look after older members. Churches argue and fight, but they don't, don't stop being church. They don't stop being church family as a result. They find ways of working it out. You can't readily switch churches. You can't say, well, that church looks cool. I think I'll leave my church and join that one instead. You can be yourself with your church. Churches provide identity and a place of belonging. When you're with your church, You can take off your shoes and slump on the sofa. Churches are home. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the church family. What a gift, what a privilege. Uh, We pray that you would help us to commit ourselves to to this church family with all its faults and failings but also with so many signs of God's grace 
And we pray that that might be for each one of us a, a, a place that we find hope, feel at home, a place where we find refuge, and a place where we can serve together to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen.